Hey, everybody, welcome to part two with my conversation, my interview, my discussion with Dr. I love this. He's an author. He's a doctor. He's a theologian. My God, it makes me feel I haven't done anything in my life. <laughs> but I love talking to smart people because there are things out there, conversations that are taking place that we need help to help us understand. Listen, especially from a Christian perspective, from a Christian's lens, what do we do with the social movement that is taking place? What do we do with this wokeness? It sounds right, and, and, but it, something just doesn't feel right in my soul. And I have something to say about this, but I'd rather have my special guest talk about it, Dr. Owen Strang. He is the provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theology Seminary and a senior fellow with the Family Research Council, one of my favorite people of all time, Lieutenant Colonel McGinnis is there, and of course, my other good friend, General Jerry Boykin. Dr. Owens has authored 20 books, including his latest book title, is one of my favorite books right now. I got to tell you this, Christianity and Wokeness. I have page 201 marked because I believe is one of the most important pages in this book, because if you believe the wokeness movement and this ideology, I can tell you how it's going to mess up your faith if you don't understand what the meaning is behind this movement. Let me be quiet. Let me welcome back my special guest, doctor, author, theologian, Dr. Owen Strang. Welcome to the program again. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. <laughs> Listen, we are living. Do you believe we're living in interesting times right now? Man, it feels like when you were a kid and you were trying to cause a little trouble with your buddies at basketball camp or something, and you took a Sprite or a Mountain Dew and you shook it as hard as you could. And then you, you brought it to your buddy and asked him if he wanted a drink and he uncapped it and it exploded. It feels like the Mountain Dew has exploded. You didn't know I was going to Mountain Dew, but we got we all got a lot of we got a lot of soda on us right now and it's just crazy, man. We don't people don't know we don't know where we're headed. We don't know who to trust. Um we've had tremendous destabilization of our different institutions, the media, the academy, the entertainment world, the sports world. You can't watch sports now, man. You can't watch you can't watch a soccer game, you can't watch a football game without having slogans thrust upon you. So it's, it's crazy days. But the good news is, as you've already alluded to, uh, we have the one sure foundation that exists in this world, and it is the Word of God. And no one can take that from us. No one can censor the Bible. No one can edit God. And uh, no one can dethrone Him. So there's some good news there, too. You're absolutely right. And I got to ask you this, because what happens when Christians bring this ideology, not from God, not from the Bible, but what can we as pastors and church leaders and believers be aware of godless ideologies that are creeping into the church and our pulpits and our sermons right now? Yeah, this is a core uh, function of ministry to give instruction and in sound doctrine, Titus 1.9, and to rebuke those who contradict it. So this is fundamentally a part of our calling. I mean, look, all of us love going to church and being encouraged and being reminded of God's grace and all the good work that's happening in the world and singing powerful songs. And that's good, man. That's good. 
But fundamentally, we've got to recognize that those in leadership aren't there just to smile and pat other people on the back. Uh, pastors and elders have to give instruction and sound doctrine, what the Bible teaches. That's all that means. And then as there are threats on the horizon, as they're standing high on the city wall and they, they see an army starting to march toward the city, uh, they have to give attention to it. They have to call it out. And the Apostle Paul says that means you have to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. So uh, I, I'm, I'm no Apostle Paul or something like that. But uh, this book, Christianity and Wokeness, is me attempting to identify a major threat to the church and then to do what little I can to try to protect the sheep from it. Let's talk about this. Why did you feel you have to write this book right now? I feel I have to write it because our civilization, our society, is in grave danger. Uh, because at every level, including, let's say, our public schools, uh, the West is under direct attack, like it has not been under attack uh, since the 1930s and 40s. And then my special focus, actually, is not our civilization, important as that is in God's common grace, but is the church, because wokeness is infiltrating the church, it's being mainstreamed, it's being normalized, and many who have a reputation for being sound in their doctrine and their life and, and a right reputation along those lines are not challenging it. This has become such a popular movement, at least it has been. I think the tide is turning now, Mondo, but it has been such a popular movement in the last five years because of those uh, police shootings, because of the death of George Floyd, related events, that very few people in the church want to challenge that because our, our society, our culture says you're a racist if you challenge the existing narrative that America is systemically racist. So what that has meant in terms of the church is that a whole lot of shepherds and pastors and leaders have gone very quiet and even have tried to accommodate this worldly, godless ideology to the church. But instead, what needs to happen is that as in the days of Elijah, look, even if it's 850 to 1, the prophets of Baal and Asherah against one man, Elijah, it is time for godly men who lead in the church to stand up and put their reputation on the line and, and call out this ideology for what it is. Wow. Godless. Wow, listen, well, you are a brave man writing about this subject. You're a brave white man. Can I say that? <laughs> and I say that respectfully because it takes someone like yourself to really go against the culture because I got to ask you this. CRT believers think that Caucasian Americans are afraid to look at their past or rather their dominance of oppression and, and of the minority community. Therefore, they are rejecting uh, critical race theory and wokeness. Is this true? That is exactly right. Fundamentally, the fundamental move that wokeness executes, the first move on the chessboard, is to tell you that if you have white skin, so-called, uh, then you don't have a right to speak. Uh, you're not in this conversation. And that's just a lie. That's just a total lie. The Bible never says that having a certain color of skin means that you lay down uh, your purchase on the truth. You stop speaking in any area. Now, someone like me, as the book shows, chapter seven of the book is all about hard questions in American history. And uh, I recognize that we have real failings in our past. And I recognize that in the 18th and 19th centuries, even into the 20th, that the concept of race was used 
against people of color in different places to uh, to to oppress them. So I'm honest about that. I'm I'm blood level honest in the book about real failings and sins. But that is not the same thing, Mondo, as um, saying that I myself today, after a whole lot of change in America, am guilty for what people in the 18th century did on the basis of my skin. Furthermore, that's not a great reading of history because the man, for example, in the British Empire, who's most responsible for ending the slave trade and then slavery, was a white man. So there's a whole lot of texture and complexity in this conversation uh, that we need, that we don't frequently have today in society or even in the church. And we've got to recognize that uh, we, we can't, we can't fall prey to this lie that your skin color determines your ability to speak truth. It's not fun, no, to take arrows, for example, in my role, uh, because I am labeled a racist and a white supremacist, but um, I'm willing to be called anything uh, in terms of defending the truth of my Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Call me what you want. Just don't call me unfaithful to Jesus. That's my prayer. Why is there so much... And you deal with this in your book. And I think everyone watching, really, you need to get this book today because it's going to give you the factual information on what the culture is doing and how they're turning this ideology into a guilt, more like if you're a, a, a Caucasian American and if you're a Caucasian American Christian, you are the worst thing that ever happened on the face of the earth. But I want you to help me understand this. Why is there so much white guilt out there? What are they believing? What are they being told that has them bound to this ideology? What's happening out there, Dr. Owen? Excellent question. It's because of race-based thinking. It's because of what we call race essentialism. If you believe that people are not structured according to the image of God, such that we're all one human race, if you buy the lie that we're many different races, which is what slavery was built off of, then you're going to think that you are guilty for what people 100, 200, 300, whatever amount of time years ago did. When the Bible teaches in Ezekiel 18, 19 to 20, that the father is not guilty for the son's sins, and the son is not guilty for the father's sins. Ezekiel 18, 19 to 20, ends decisively any biblical support, that idea, I mean, for generational guilt, for me being guilty for what my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather or his generation did. And it also ends the idea of reparations, that um, if there are real sins in a nation's past, for example, then the descendants of the people who were wronged get money or get other forms of reparations. That's not biblical either, because Ezekiel 18 uh, just draws a line through that. But fundamentally, in secular society today, we don't have that biblical soundness that I was just talking about. Instead, we have a lot of sociology out there, and we got a lot of grifters out there, and they are making a mint off of telling white people, so-called, that they are guilty for what their ancestors did, when in reality, that's not a sound concept. But a lot of people are sitting ducks today, Mondo. Man, I got so many questions that my brain is just going crazy. And I'm, I thank you for helping me answer all these questions because I deal with this on a constant base. 
Uh, I work for a Christian uh, ministry. I, I've been working for 23 years for this ministry, but I've watched the tide turn in Christianity like I've never seen before. I used to travel around the world. I used to go to almost every conference and, and be one of the keynote speakers to these conferences. And, and I started noticing a change when they started asking me not to preach about the blood, about not to preach about repentance, not to talk about bringing people up to the altar. And I noticed that the church began to do something that saved my life. And now we're watching our own Christian community being seduced and deceived by a woke movement that has infiltrated the church and no one in the pulpit is making any sense anymore, Dr. Owen. It worries me that the next generation is falling into a trap that I don't think they're going to find a way out if they don't wake up today. Because according to the woke crowd, which American Christians are complicit in creating and sustaining a racist society, I want you to help me unpack this statement for us because if we don't understand what's taking place, then we're going to feel that this statement, this type of statement has merit to what they're claiming. Can you unpack that real quick to help us understand we as Christians need to start either believing the whole gospel or we're going to believe a woke movement blaming the church to be inherently racist. Yeah, we, we got to separate. We got to do some real separation here. We got to recognize that different sectors of the church were complicit in supporting slavery and Jim Crow in generations past. There, there are instances where Christians have not challenged racism in our past. We can find them. But that is not the same thing as arguing that today we are complicit in a system of white supremacy. And this is what you have to do, Mondo. You have to distinguish the past where there are real failings from the present. Part of what wokeness is, is what our kids call, because, you know, I'm not cool anymore, Mondo, so I got <laughs> to reference the kids, right? Exactly. But, um, it's what the kids call gaslighting, right? It's where you try to convince somebody that they're crazy. And that's what's happening in our civilization and in the church. Wokeness is a great gaslighting attempt. It's telling people we've made no progress against racism. America is just the same. In fact, Kendi and others say America is worse in terms of being a racist society because most of the racism now is hidden. So because it's hidden, you can't fight it effectively like you could in the days of slavery. This is gaslighting. I just want to be very clear. This is an attempt to burn down the existing civilization we have, and to overcome the existing church we have and build a new leftist society and a new wokeified church. And so we have to do the hard work of being honest about the past and failings of the past, sins of the past, but then distinguish that from the present. Because any sane person, Mondo, can look at the last 40 to 60 years of American history and not see something perfect, Don. Uh, uh, Christ has not returned. And yet, this society has made real progress in terms of fighting racism. Th that used to be how everybody talked when I was growing up in the 90s. That's how everybody talked. Martin Luther King Jr.'s ideals won out 
to a serious degree in the society. Yay. And uh, what has happened is in the last five to 10 years uh, with police shootings and these sorts of events, that has all gotten poisoned. And now we're being told the lie that America is not only as racist as in the days of slavery, but has actually gotten worse. So if we will only stand up and say just what I just said, some version of that, Mondo, that will free people. That will, that will um, protect them from this great gaslighting attempt where we're pretending that society is one thing, horrific, festering with racism, when in reality, we're not perfect by any stretch, but we've made real progress. Wow. Listen, you're listening to my special guest today. He is the author of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. I'm going to put a link on the screen. You need to go get this book. You need to educate yourself. We need to understand what we're up against. We need to understand that if we believe this wokeness that is taking place, the ramifications of your spirit and, 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 and your faith, it's, it's, it's going to be a debacle trying to put it all back together. You write about, I believe there is nine warnings and ways wokeness overtakes believers and a born-again Christian over time. And I think for me, page 201 and page 202 in your book are probably one of the two most important book uh, pages of information that we can take with us. Because if you're in the, on the fence of wanting to believe this woke ideology and be a part of the CRT movement that is taking place, as a Christian, you better be careful what you're getting into. Do you know what you wrote in, in page 201 and page 202 of your book? Yeah, I wrote a lot in that book, so let that be said. But yes, fundamentally, I don't think any interviewer, I've probably done 60 interviews about this book. I don't think any interviewer has asked me about that section. And I, I don't think this is some really important work or whatever, but I do think that those pages have some relevance to us. Because what I've seen, what I try to chart there, Mondo, is that there's a trajectory where you start being um, open to systemic racism as a concept. And then what happens is you start talking about that. And then you start, this is in simplified form, what I say in the book. And then you start talking about it a lot. And pretty soon, you're not talking about the gospel. You're not talking about Jesus. You're not talking about your salvation. You're not talking about oneness you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ who don't look like you or aren't from your background. Here's what you're talking about. All the time, you're a broken record talking about how evil America is. And frankly, let's just get down to business, man, how, how white people are white supremacists. And that, Mondo, is a takeover. It is a takeover. And if that happens to you, you are in grave spiritual danger because now you're no longer celebrating your salvation. You're basically taken captive by secular ideology. I want to tell you, if you're watching right now and if you're on the fence, you need this book because if you're wanting to go with the wokeness movement, movement and wanting to believe the critical race theory ideology, your spirit is in trouble. Your faith is in trouble. How do I know that? Page 201, when you get the book, I want you to go there immediately 
Because if you're thinking of joining that movement, this is the result right here that Dr. Owen writes about. I don't mean to get loud. I know this is a television program, but I'm passionate about you not confusing being an activist with being an evangelist, being a pastor, being a theologian of the gospel, being a pastor, being a preacher. Don't confuse the gospel with another gospel. Oh, man, I shouldn't be talking this loud. <laughs> but this is what you write, Dr. Owen. Mm. The results of a takeover. If a believer decides to believe that new gospel, this is what you say. First, wokeness divides us from others. Second, wokeness causes us to despite others. Fourth, wokeness robs us from joyful peace. Fifth, wokeness directs us away from the gospel. Sixth, wokeness makes us bitter. Seventh, wokeness makes Moving on from wrong very hard. Eighth, wokeness veils God's providence. And number nine, wokeness makes a man big and God small. What are you going to do with that information now? Can you just comment on what I just read? Because I believe those two pages are probably two of the most important pages in your book. That's not to take away from all the research you've done, sir. That's not to take away from any other progress that you've done in this book. But I believe that if a Christian believes this new gospel, you may well lose your very soul. Yeah, I, I definitely can comment because fundamentally, when you're a Christian, when you're born again, what happens is you live in peace with God and you should live in peace with men. Life is not easy as a Christian. There's a lot of hardship. Um, you have to fight your own sin. Uh, you live in a fallen world. Things it feels like to many of us believers are getting harder and harder in these days in terms of our society and our civilization. But in, in fundamental terms, a Christian doesn't live life angry. We live life out of the overflow of God's grace. We've been forgiven much. We've been forgiven an infinite debt. And that shapes us, that marks us as different. The world has not been forgiven an infinite debt. Unbelievers are trapped in their sin. They are different from us. And that means that there should be a profound difference in the way the Christian lives from the unbeliever. But what I see happen with wokeness as it advances in a church, in a movement, a denomination, or even just an individual person is that they get angry, man. They can never move on. They're like that family member that many of us have known who tragically had something bad go wrong in their life. And whenever you get together for the holidays or whatever, no matter how much good is happening in their, in their existence, that's all they can talk about. They talk about it for years and years and years and years. That's what is happening here. Wokeness, wokeness is an attempt by Satan to tie us down to the past to tie us down to slavery and Jim Crow and other forms of racism that are real, and then to, to make us never move on from there. It's like that family member that directs every conversation back to that event that, that they're never recovering from. And what we've got to recognize is that that family member tragically is trapped in bitterness. And that is not what it means to be a Christian. There are things to fight. There are sins to call out. There are lines to draw. But if you are a Christian, 
you are free in Christ. You are liberated. You are filled with joy. You are more than a conqueror, Romans 8, 37. And so you have died to that cycle of bitterness, that wokeness traps you in. Wow. There you have it. If there was a salvation message, there is one right there. And if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior right now, receive him in your heart. He will forgive you of your sins. He will lead you into a road of oneness with him. There's only one gospel. That is the gospel in whom God sent his beloved son to die for you and I so we can have eternal life with him. Listen, I got to go. I cannot believe this. My time is gone. I want to thank you, Dr. Owen, for making the time to do part two of our conversation. I'm probably one of the most, in, I don't want to say probably, one of the most important topics in our culture right now. And in Christianity and wokeness, you reveal how the social justice movement is hijacking the gospel, but you also give us an answer on how we can stop it. We have the power to stop it. You have the power to stop it. Don't change the gospel. Don't compromise the call of God in your life. God has called you to be a pastor, not an activist. God has called you to be an evangelist, not an activist. God has called you to be a prophet, a teacher, a theologian, a person after God's own heart. Don't confuse the call with oh, the activism that is taking place in our culture. We are more than conquerors, the Bible says. Listen, I want you to... Just know one thing, that God loves you so much. He's crazy about you. I don't know what they told you about God. I don't know what your experience has been in the past with church. But I know one thing, that my God never changes. The culture changes. The times change. But the gospel has never changed. We have tried to modify the gospel to fit into our culture, and it never works. The gospel changes the culture. The culture should never Try to change the gospel. Man, I got to go. Be encouraged today. We have the answer. Through the word of God and through books like this that help us understand the times and the seasons that we're in right now. Christianity and wokeness. My special guest today, Dr. Owens, thank you so much for joining me today, sir. I hope to meet you one day, get you on the orange couch, and let's keep talking. I got to go. But remember, until then... Keep the faith. It's going to be all right. Bye-bye. March of 06, the Secretary of the Navy wrote a bad policy, 1730.7c, to say chaplains cannot pray in Jesus' name outside of church. You can pray to God. You can say amen. But if you say the J word, you might offend somebody. So you can be punished by your commander if you pray in Jesus' name in public. And I said, I want to be the first. I volunteer. Jesus did so much. He sacrificed his life on the cross for me. I cannot be ashamed of his name. I cannot deny Christ when ordered by the government. So I took a stand. I stood in front of the White House in my Navy uniform. This is March 2006. And on a public sidewalk on a Thursday morning, I prayed in Jesus' name on national television. Mm. And I broke the policy four different ways. And then I went to court, right? They offered to punish me quietly with a piece of paper in my record. I said, no. I demand my own misdemeanor court martial. And the, I dared the judge, and he did. He enforced that new policy, 1730.7c. I was found guilty of worshiping in public in my uniform. Mm. Now, you think that's not a crime, but the, the policy yes. made that a crime. You cannot do worshiping in public in your uniform. Guilty 
of disobeying lawful orders based on this policy. But then a miracle happened, Mondo. And that is my story ran in 500 newspapers and the public came to my defense. 300,000 Americans petitioned Congress and I was vindicated by Congress.